0: Hi, and welcome to Season 5 of Business Book Talk. Hope you're going to enjoy this new season. I'm really excited about it. I'm sure you will really enjoy some of the books that we have planned. So let's get on with the show. Hi, everybody. It's Bob again, and I've got Think Agile, How Smart Entrepreneurs Adapt in order to succeed and I've got Taffy Williams with me today and uh, you're way where the heck are you we down in the Colorado or somewhere like that no oh, no I'm in North Carolina it's a uh, you know a real uh,
1: nice cool hundred degrees today <laughs>
0: <laughs> well it's it's balmy and overcast here in Vancouver but uh, I think the weather's gonna get a little bit colder in about a month
1: well, yeah, I think it's still going to be a hundred degrees here in a month. <laughs> <laughs> My grass is turning brown; it's supposed to be green. So, uh,
0: <laughs> hey, I wanted to talk to you about the the book, uh, but before we get too deep into it, why did you think it was a, uh, a good book to bring out uh, at this time?
1: It's kind of it's kind of interesting. When, when I was uh, putting the book together, I had I was working with somebody who'd written a lot of business uh, books to sort of be a coach, and we were going back and forth on topics. And, uh, you know, the different topics just weren't, you know, he he would like one, I wouldn't like it. I would like one, he wouldn't like it. And finally, out of frustration one day, I says the biggest issue is that people got to be able to be flexible. And they got to come back and, and be able to adapt because nothing ever works out the way you planned it. And he said, that's your book. I said, what are you talking about? He says, that's your book. (laughs) And so after we discussed it a little bit, it became fairly obvious throughout my entire life. Nearly everything that's happened didn't happen the way it was planned. It happened because of of having to adapt in order to be able to get something to work out. Uh, Even when things were failing, we had to just to be able to last longer, had to adapt in order to be able to get You know, so so it became very obvious that that's something that was important. It's important for nearly every business. And it just seemed like the right kind of topic to go into.
0: Well, you know, it's interesting because there have been a lot of books that have come out. Uh, One that was uh, we've actually talked about on this show uh, was Pivot. And that was a concept of your. You run the business, you put a team together, and then you realize that geez, you know what we're actually doing nobody wants. So instead of shutting down everything, uh, be agile and pivot the company. Keep your existing assets. Keep your existing. Um, talent pool, uh, but change your actual drive. How is Think Agile different from that other philosophy?
1: Well, it, it requires, and I know programmers don't like this, uh, but it requires actually planning in advance, thinking about where you're going, looking at multiple routes to achieve that goal. It may mean that you look along the path and in order uh, to pivot. It requires gutting the company and rebuilding it, Had to do that twice. Uh, you know, and, and so the the objective is, um, you know, to try and look for landmines, uh, look for places where you can take advantage, look for for unforeseen, you know, positive events that can change your business and and try to incorporate uh, a path that will uh, allow you to succeed or succeed to a greater level. So it, it kind of has some of the same pivot stuff. And I think I use the word pivot in the book a couple of times, uh, you know, but it really requires... A lot more than that. I like to describe it as going to see grandma in Colorado uh, right around the time winter's coming up and say not throwing blankets, water and food in the car, driving down the road, it starts to snow, you get stuck and you didn't plan. Well, you knew knew there was a chance it could snow. You could have planned in advance and you could have made your life a little bit simpler, but you didn't.
0: Well, I find that the more you plan and, and uh, oh, it may rain today, so I'm going to take an umbrella, or I see something happening in the future, so I should plan for it, uh, that tends to make that thing not happen nine times out of ten.
1: Well, it, I never have that problem. When I plan, <laughs> I plan with an end goal that's going to take place, and I plan to look for ways that could keep it from happening, and then I look for how I can make sure that that doesn't create a problem. So, you know, if your goal is to have a product on the market by such and such a date, and you know, you've got uh, one manufacturer that, you know, in place, but you haven't planned for a second uh, manufacturer in case there's a problem, or you know that there's a critical point in your development process, and you haven't thought about how you might be able to uh, find a way around that that if that becomes a real barrier. Uh, if it turns out that you you haven't considered how to get funding to be able to move forward and you haven't looked at more than one approach to getting that money, any of those things can be done and they become part of your game plan, but you have to think about what those things would be enough so that you keep your focus on where you're headed, but you plan to try and make sure you get there in a reasonable time frame with as least uh, damage as possible.
0: Yeah, and, and you know, as you're saying that, I'm thinking also that really if you're, organized, you have a game plan, at least you know when you're off your game plan, because it's, it's more than just being agile, having a game plan.
1: Well, it's, absolutely.
0: <laughs> it's, it's, it, for me, at least, it's the ability to, to, to know that you're on track, or if you're off track, how far off track, and what's driving you off track, and if that's going to continue to be a problem, fixing it before uh, you're into a growth spurt, because that's one thing that will kill a company is growth, uh, which is ironic. This applies to more than just companies.
1: I I give you a really great example how I was not agile just in the past six months. My wife pointed to a light bulb in a room and said, you know, can you change the light bulb? Because it was flickering. It was a fluorescent bulb. I said, sure. I've done that thousands of times. So I pulled out my ladder, came back after having, you know, come back from the gym. I get on the ladder. So, you know, I'm up about nine feet off the floor. I go to change the light bulb and I put a new light bulb in and it still has a problem. And I says, oh no, now it's an electronic component called a ballast inside the fixture. So I said, okay, I can replace the ballast. So here it is, I'm trying to pull this light bulb apart from in the air uh, and I finally uh, I pull, it, look at the ballast and it says it's got all these wires coming out it says, I'm not doing that. I'm going to put a whole new fixture up. So I go out and buy a brand new fixture that's different, I go to put it up and it turns out that the electrician didn't put a metal box in the ceiling where you put the wires in. So here it is now, I'm trying to pull this thing out of the ceiling, I'm trying to figure out how to reconstruct it, I had to take the fixture back. I got a different fixture, I put it back up, instead of yeah, having all the tools with me and planning ahead and figuring out what I had to do, I'm trying to mount this new fixture up and I ran into all kinds of problems. Short, to make this a much shorter story and not go in through all the blow by blow things, <laughs> it took me four and a half hours to replace a 20 min, uh, what should have taken me 20 minutes because I didn't go up and look behind the thing to start with to figure out what it was I had to do. And I didn't bring the tools in there that I would need so that I wouldn't be going out and trying to get them on the fly. That's what I mean by planning ahead.
0: (laughs) Yeah, you know, it's interesting because, you know, a lot of times in an organization, um, especially if you're in management or you're leading an organization, time is of the essence. And it's so difficult to get that time or uh, tell people, guys, I know we want to launch. I know we want to be doing this. I know we want to be uh, going to this trade show, but are we ready? Are we ready for the success? Are we ready for the build up? Are Is the company uh, organized enough that it can survive if we kind of drop off the map for two or three months to get organized? So um, is part of the strategy understanding that, yes, you have to spend time up front and not to fret about it too much?
1: Yeah, you you have to spend a lot of time up front. In the sector that I do a lot of work in, which is medically oriented, uh, we have to actually know and understand the market to a great detail. Uh, if you wanna raise money, these people are savvy. They understand what it takes to launch a product. They understand the dynamics and if one physician is losing patients to another one because your product is sending them over there, you're gonna meet resistance. They understand that you know if you have a, a me too product or if you have something that's a nice to have rather than a have to have, you're not gonna capture a market. All of that goes into the first part of the planning is what is it gonna to take to capture your market? How much am I really going to get? And can you convince? an investor. They should invest in you. On the manufacturing end, you have to make sure that you meet all the appropriate criteria or regulatory, you know, hurdles and that you have planned that and that, that, you know, at the end, all of your documentation is appropriate because if the FDA looks at the documentation and says, no, this isn't right, you're going to delay a launch. Your intellectual property has to be right. You have so many pieces to the puzzle that have to be done exactly right. Problem is, is that if you have a really fantastic product, and I'll give you an example, Prilosec, which was for for the gut, for uh, acid and, you know, acid indigestion, they were selling a billion dollars worth of this stuff almost, you know, a year or more. They calculated that one day cost them, uh, you know, millions of dollars. So one day and loss of a patent life can cost you millions to hundreds of millions of dollars, and so, you know, it's more than just launching late. You're losing time and money, big time.
0: Let's talk a little bit about how the book is constructed. You know, you've got three parts. Part one, understanding what you need to know before adopting an agile work, uh, work style. And then number two, uh, increase your agility exponentially. And then number three, uh, monitoring and troubleshooting. So I wanted to know, you know, if, if you picked up the book and you don't have a ton of time, is it worth going from the beginning of the book all the way through, or can you kind of jump straight to section two or a part of section three, or what? What do you think the best strategy for tackling the book?
1: I kind of believe the best thing is to go through the whole book because it kind of lays out the strategy, and each section has individual examples of how things work. You know, the the first the first uh, section though has uh, five uh, key uh elements that you know things that i might that i've kind of learned and, and realized can help um, along the way and the first one is you know you question the status quo you know and we will we'll talk each is, these are broken out a little bit more in the book but in questioning the status quo i mean i worked for the federal government for 14 years and it was like oh you can't do that nobody can do that well if you don't question that type of thing, you don't know if it can be done or not. Most of the time, everything can be done. It just depends on how much effort, how much energy you wanna put into it. The second thing was take more than one shot on goal. If, you're, if your objective is uh, to be successful, um, you know, it may mean that that you look for key places in your, in your process of getting to the end goal of launching a product and determine is there more than one was there one place where a barrier could be? And is there more than one route that I could overcome that barrier? Or, you know, the two products I should be trying to push forward, where at the end, we'll make the final push on the one that looks like is head getting there first. Uh, so taking sometimes more shot, if it's raising money, maybe is talking and looking at three or four different uh, avenues to find money. I mean, I've got like several of them I talk about in the book. Uh, banishing bureaucracy one of the worst things you can do is have uh, layers and layers and layers of people that got to review things it just slows you down it, c- it creates problems and people are reviewing and want to touch it before it's done the more less bureaucracy you got the faster you can move you know accept failure it's a really tough thing to deal with and and people don't realize that you learn a lot from failure and yes things are going to fail if you look at all the businesses that are started every year only a fraction of them make it so you've got to be able to accept the fact that things aren't going to go well. Something may fail. Learn from it and try to figure out how to implement that in the next time around. And finally, the, the one key, key thing that I try to emphasize is you've got to believe you can do anything. Uh, If you walk in, uh, when you're negotiating, there's such a thing as setting an anchor. An anchor is sort of like a point where if you, if you start off with a slightly higher bid, it kind of sets the bar a little bit higher and maybe you'll be able to approach and get a slightly better deal. If you set it too low, it sets the anchor on the low side. It's not unlike going into a restaurant and finding all the high-priced wines and all the, you know, and a, and a waiter coming out and trying to tell you, well, here's this really great meal for thirty-five dollars. And you look in the menu and you got a really, really nice ones for, you know, fifteen, twenty, twenty-five. Well, you know, if it's thirty-five, it may set your anchor higher. You might order a higher-priced thing, believing that you can do anything. Set your anchor that you're going to make an attempt and you're not going to give up so easy. And again, that's that's an important uh, concept. So those things are discussed throughout the book, and they, and you know there's a lot that goes into that and how you might be able to make adjustments. And then there's some quizzes at the end of each chapter that sort of give you ideas of how you might be uh, whether you're flexible enough and, and whether you're 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 uh, hurting yourself by being too locked into one scenario.
0: When a person. Uh approaches this book what's the best strategy because you know you've read the book you get you know basically oh this is good stuff it's going to take quite a long time to implement a lot of the stuff because a lot of times depending on your organization you're talking about a re uh, a reevaluation of how you run the organization on a pretty fundamental uh, way so what would you say to the person that's that's reading the book and getting all excited about it what is the one thing that they're gonna run up against again and again that is going to make it harder for them to implement it consistently.
1: Bureaucracy if they're not the top, you know, the top dog. Uh, you know, clearly there are one of the, the traits that is really important to learn is how to build out a uh, business strategy to convince your boss that something is worth doing. The better that you can paint it and the more accurately that you can paint it as to why they should try to do something. And you don't try to change your whole organization. Pick some small task, demonstrate your ability to accomplish something, and then gradually build on that. I mean, I started out working at a bench in a laboratory, and by the time I was done, it was like 14 years later, I had a a huge organization with millions of dollars and, and a lot of people. Well, I didn't do that overnight. And I had to actually work hard to convince people that I could do the job. And every time that I had a success, I tried to leverage that success to do something better. And again, you know, within a military organization, it's it's very difficult to uh, have the flexibility that you want. Now, there's another author, and I hate to tout somebody else's, but it's called Turn the Ship Around. Uh, it was a Navy captain, and the Navy captain uh, was assigned to a nuclear sub after having been trained to be not on that sub, but another one. He gets on the sub, and he's supposed to know everything about the sub that he's the commander of, but in this case, he knows nothing. So he gets on the sub, and he wants to run a, um, a test, and the test requires uh, something unique that has to be done, and it turns out that that, that is um, to put the ship into a state where it's going to run on batteries. They're going to turn the nuclear reactors down. They have to run through an exercise, and then before the batteries run out, they have to uh, have completed the exercise. So this guy uh, decides he wants to give an order to to increase the speed of the ship to two-thirds speed. He wants to burn the battery down faster. So he gives the order to second in command, gives the order and the guy, and nothing happens. The guy at the uh, helm didn't do anything. So he says, well, what happened? Nothing happened. And uh, and so he looked at the guy at the helm and he shrugs his shoulders. He looked at the second in command and he says, sir, there's no two-thirds speed on the boat. He said, well, why didn't you tell me? So if you think about bureaucracy, It is top down. And here's a guy that's supposed to be in charge of a ship that because of having been transferred to one that he really wasn't assigned to originally, didn't know something. And the entire team didn't tell him that he didn't know it. He had to reconstruct how he was going to operate on that ship and basically had to work from the bottom up where people came in and uh, were able to um, tell him and make suggestions and be able to make things. He took it from the worst performing ship in the Navy to the best performing ship in the Navy in the time frame that he was there. And this is all banishing bureaucracy, changing the order of business. You have to do it a little bit at a time and then gradually build into it. And so, yes, people are going to get excited, but they have to be able to, to learn how to present cogent arguments to people.
0: Well, you know, that's interesting because, you know, in a military situation, uh, you make an order, you you make a decision, and people will follow it. They're yes, sir, and they go and do that unless they run up against a brick wall, like you mentioned. But in a business, it's slightly different because um, a lot of times you're sitting at a table with three people or eight people, and you're basically trying to get them to trust you to make a decision, and you get a lot of pushback, and... As, an, as a leader of an organization or person that's building an organization, uh, you want to have people that actually question your decisions. But at one point, you have to be able to put your foot down and say, hey, I get that you're not 100% sure, but you guys are going to have to just trust me on this. We're going to push it forward. Uh, how do you overcome something like that?
1: Well, the first thing you have to do is make sure you've got an open dialogue and everybody's able to contribute and, and make sure they all understand that at the end, uh, you may have to make a total decision that they may not fit with what they want. But along the way, you're going to discuss and try to build out and understand a business, a, a solid rationale for the approach and you get them to be involved in that discussion. And the more they can be involved and the more they understand your listening and the more that they participate, the better your chances are of coming up with a sounder solution. Doesn't mean that they're they're going to understand all the things that you know, but there's no reason you can't explain some of that along the way so that they can be trying to fit in and, and figure out how to make things work. And by having them more heavily involved, you build a team that is going to be able to over time uh, be able to provide more of their uh, skill set rather than expect you to have all the answers.
0: It Reminds me a little bit about Chapter Seven, where you're talking about repurposing product, services, and people, where you're going in and you're saying, "Okay, we're really we're we're doing X, but I need to be doing Y in the future. So let's take these pre-existing assets and just move them a little bit to the right. So that's going to help us move in that direction. A yeah, little bit help more.
1: them understand why. Help them what you're trying to help them make sure they understand what you're trying to accomplish. Maybe what you're trying to accomplish with, uh, should be modified slightly, and they can give you different ideas if they get involved.
0: Okay, in part three, monitoring and troubleshooting, and I think this is is very interesting because at the beginning you say you research, you figure out where you're going, you basically set down a, a solid plan, and you move forward. But then you have to be monitoring. And as you monitor, you run into problems, and you've got to basically troubleshoot those problems. So can you just talk a little bit about that?
1: Oh, yeah. I mean, this, this happens all the time. I mean, you're always, in a manufacturing in one company, we actually had an issue where uh, we had uh, run clinical trials, and we had run clinical trials on a drug manufactured in a particular setting. And anytime you change the formulation of a drug, you have to go back and restart all over again. Well, we ended up being in a situation where, uh, where when we got ready to do the final runs, after having run the clinical trials, we, had, uh, we found out we ran into a manufacturing problem. The machine that they were using was causing the, the tablets to disintegrate and uh, you know, when we went to a new machine. And so all of a sudden they had to adjust things. Well, we had to call in regulatory people. We had to call in manufacturing. We, we're sitting there where we could either all of a sudden go down the toilet or we could end up solving a problem. We found a way around it to make the FDA okay, and when we managed to get over a really huge hurdle uh, another situation that, that came up was totally unexpected and a lot of this stuff happens that way uh, in the middle of uh, of trying to raise uh, eighteen million dollars in a company we ended up uh, having one of the uh, investor groups come back and say they're not going to do the deal well you know I'm sitting there and walking into getting ready to walk into an annual stockholders meeting to gain an approval to be able to sell the shares to close on the deal. I have to go in and cancel it tell them we might go under and then come back out and find a way to be able to solve the problem. Stuff comes up like that all the time. And being able to go through and find ways uh, quickly to be able to solve those problems is almost essential. You can just about count on it. So you're always looking for ways to uh, repurpose, re uh, get over a barrier, get over something, and that happens. If you look at some of the examples I gave, um, you know, the, the product uh, – um, WD-40 was originally for coating for rocket ships, but turned out to be a lubricant because somebody decided to take it home and see if it would work, you know, help them out at home. The, the post-its, the 3M uh, post-its, uh, turned out to be a mistake of making a really strong glue into a weak glue. It turned out to be, you know, something they thought was worthless until one of the people in the was using it to hold his he- the uh, marker in his hymnal. Um, and realize that gee, this could be kind of interesting. And ultimately, a little bit later, post-its were born. It's finding things that are that you thought may not be of value, finding a way to make them a value, or finding problems that you were totally unexpected and finding a way to get over them. Um, you know, have been a really great uh, way to to um, to to reach a success that might not have been achievable before.
0: Well, I think that's one of the biggest things an organization can do uh, if they want to become more profitable or, or even look more profitable uh, is the ability to look at their pre-existing uh, offering and say, how can we reutilize this pre-existing offering? How can we change it in, in a subtle way that now we have two markets instead of one market or five markets instead of three markets? Do you think that type of flexibility is, is critical to an organization that wants to have more of an agile style management structure?
1: Sure. I mean, you know, uh, just because I, you know, one of the original products is going after, you know, a market that might be a couple of million dollars, uh, you know, by failing to recognize that you had a market that'd be a couple of hundred million dollars and not go after it, you know, would be crazy. You have to be able to look for um, those accidents that can take you to a much higher plane. Um, You know, you you might find that all of a sudden, you know, you were developing a product that would go into a market. And if you could find a partner to license it and give you cash for it up front and maybe some downstream revenues that another product in your portfolio uh, would really take you from a small company to a huge company. Uh, Those kind of things happen all the time. And it really requires um, almost it requires an awareness, recognizing that there's an opportunity there and then figuring out how to capitalize on it.
0: Well, and then that goes right down to the name of the book, you know, being agile, because if you if you don't have that built in to the management structure, when opportunities like that happen, if you're the leader, you may not even hear about them, and by the time you hear about them, it's too late.
1: Absolutely, yeah. That's why you want your people to be um, excited. Want you want them to work there. You want them to be able to contribute their ideas, and when they see something that you don't. Um, that's, you know, that can really make a huge difference. You want them to bring it to you, and you want to find a way to reward them for bringing it to you. I mean, why, you know, why not? If, if you have a chance to become extremely wealthy, why shouldn't your people become wealthy?
0: Let's talk a little bit about dealing with bureaucracy because you've mentioned it before, and, and really you were in an, in an industry that has a huge government bureaucracy that you basically have to paddle up through. Um, how does an organization streamline away from uh, having a bunch of rules and regulations to, to something that's way more agile and yet still have the ability for whoever's steering the ship to have a pretty good idea where you're going?
1: Well, it's, it, this, is, this is where the, having the people that work for you be your eyes and ears. Uh, and be able to help and they have to recognize that there are going to be some decisions that have to get made that may or may not fit with their thinking but you have to encourage them uh, to be part of a discussion and then when the decisions uh, have to come about at least they will understand that they've been listened to that you've tried to weigh those factors into it. If you're on the bottom, if you're on the lower in the chain of command, you can only influence those things that are in direct contact with you or your first line, um, you know, contacts. Uh, you know, when you go out and hunt for a job, they usually tell you to go to your first line contacts uh, first, and then you try to generate second and third level contacts, um, you know, from these over time, so that ultimately your your immediate contact pool becomes larger. You have to do this kind of in a, in, a, in a larger setting where there's a lot of bureaucracy. So you you might be the only one in your group, and you try to – your friends, you try to convince to do something, or you try to work around that. But your ultimate goal is to take and uh, use your, your spheres of influence and try to influence them to the best you can uh, using good arguments, uh, using good uh, good discussions and friendship, and try to build on that. I mean, you know, you have to start somewhere.
0: Well, that's interesting because it kind of segues into my next question, which is like, how does a person in an organization, and I'm not talking about somebody at senior management, but a, maybe a younger person, maybe they just came out of university, they've got their, their business degree, and they read this book. How can they uh, bring this thinking, this philosophy of business into an organization when they're so low on the totem pole?
1: Well, this again comes down to uh, they're going to be hired by somebody. As somebody is going to have to like them, uh, and they're going to be working with a couple of people. Uh, And this comes down to where your sphere of influence is that immediate person that hired you and the couple of people you work with. So take small projects and try to work through and demonstrate an ability to succeed, demonstrate uh, that flexibility, try to introduce it. See if you can uh, show uh, by example or by uh, discussion uh, how uh, different alternatives, how something might uh, be able to be made to work. Um, And by the way, there's no reason why somebody coming out, taking that job, couldn't decide to go elsewhere and create their own business. Uh, That happens all the time. About 40 percent of the jobs in the United States, I think, come from small business. So, you know, to create small businesses uh, doesn't necessarily require uh, uh, people to have been upper tier management within a company. It's kind of nice if they were. But you can create a business, you know, plenty of kinds of businesses, uh, you know, just out of school.
0: Let's talk about assessing agility because I think that's a, that's a big, big one right in the book because you know a lot of people that are reading the book or, or looking for a solution to uh, making their, their organization more streamlined, how do they assess where they are right now?
1: Well, in each one of the chapters, uh, there are questions you can ask yourself. Um, you know, am, am, am I so locked in on this one point? then I'm failing to look at other alternatives or are there other alternatives to create to go after this one point or are there things that I'm not thinking about for example I've got to create a product and in creating that product I've got three hurdles one I got to have more money than I got two I have this one particular piece of technology that may be antiquated you know and three the people that I got are all wrong. Okay, so pick one of them or two of them or three of them. Try to work up a scenario. If you're the low guy on the totem pole, you go to your boss and says, look, here's the reason this is complicated now. We'll make an effort to do it. Here's my approach. But I can tell you that if I have more money or if I have these people or if I have that, here's the plan. Uh, you know, I think that we can do a better job. Um, do you, which, which do you prefer? Do you want me to go ahead and work with this or do you think there's an opportunity we can try to move to a slightly higher plane?
0: You know, it, it comes up again and again in many of the organizations that I chat with and with many of the books that we end up reading um, that it's so important to have the right people in the right position to, to make a lot of these theories work. Do you think that in, in this particular case, it's not only that, but it's the core vision that makes a big difference?
1: The core vision helps, uh, you know, and if your core vision is, you know, um, I rule by the golden rule, I got the rule, I got the gold and I set all the rules, uh, you know, and that's the way that it starts off. It's going to be really hard to change that from the bottom up. Doesn't mean you can't have selective changes in the organization around you within that group, but that's, that's going to be a philosophy. Sometimes it is better to look for alternatives where you can be happier than to work in a place you're miserable. Uh, And it was easy to stay locked into a job. And again, this is the agility aspect of it. Uh, You know, you can reinvent yourself Uh, if you are not able to get and do the kinds of things you want to do. If it doesn't seem to be fitting your style, if it really is uh, so locked in that nobody's listening to you, uh, but you really need that uh, change, this is time to be agile and think about changing you. Um, you know, you you are your first sphere of influence. Now, the second one are those people nearby you, um, and so you know the, you do you always have uh, an ability to make change someplace.
0: For you, what was your aha moment when you know you're researching the book, you're putting it down on paper, and something you already knew was true really crystallized for you?
1: Well, you know, I started to look back at my career, and um, one of the things is, you know what what were some things that made big differences and helped me to realize uh, you know and and move forward. So there are several events in my life that kind of came together that helped me to realize you know what uh, how to how to how to be more agile the first one was uh, you know when I was in graduate school doing research I walked in to see my uh, professor after six months of trying to do an experiment which was required for my PhD I mean I had to you know get that part done before I could do any of the rest of the stuff for the next four years and it wasn't working and I said this is not working go give me something else to do he just looked up and said you're not doing it right go back and figure out how to make it work I just got really angry, walked out of there. About three weeks later, I actually figured out how to make it work, which set the stage for me to publish the papers, to write the dissertation, to do all of the work that was required for the next four years. That's when I realized by giving up or deciding something is not going to work and not looking for an alternative and not looking for a new way to make it happen, uh, that, that, you know, Things weren't going to work. Then working in the government, that started to solidify even more. People telling you, well, you can't do this. This is not possible. And I did things that they said you can't do. Some of them were removing people. Some of them were other kinds of things, you know, finding alternative sources of funding. And and it was people saying you can't do that and me saying, oh, yeah, you can, um, you know, and finding a way to make that work and looking and showing routes to make that happen. And then in getting into companies and starting to be involved there, having um, having what looked like impending doom, because I worked on uh, turnarounds for about uh, 14 years and trying to turn them around. And in those, you ran into problems daily, sometimes multiple problems daily, and trying to look for, okay, I know this is going to happen if I do that. And so by looking for alternatives. So along the way, each of the things that I have have gradually picked up, begin to gel into this agile thinking, the stick-to-itiveness, the ability to adapt when something goes bad. Uh, You know, if you have a black swan, uh, what do you do? Uh, Is there a quick way to get around it? Um, You know, and those types of things all came together.
0: As a leader of an organization, how critical do you think it is to have an agile attitude? And, you know, basically building on what you were just talking about, is that the core responsibility of a leader is to push forward and show or push his people so they get that they can do more than they perceive that they could do?
1: It, it, it is important, although it sometimes getting masked by the fact that in some larger corporations, the income stream is so large that they don't feel the need to do that. Uh, you know, this, this is where you know sometimes in the lower ranks of the organization, things like the Post-its come from and the WD-40 comes from people realizing there's opportunities in there to where they can do something to make a huge uh, benefit to the corporation where the upper, upper ranks may not be even involved. And so it is important to do it. Uh, it's more important uh, to look for hurdles. I mean, you know, if you look at J.P. Morgan, this is a company that completely rebuilt, redone. They did a phenomenal job with the company and they still ran into some financial issues or getting over them, but they've gone through quite a lot you know, and, and turning that company into something that's a major corporation. And I think there's a lot of flexibility in there, um, you know, and you find that in, in some some companies will be really structured and, and uptight and not change. I, I've interacted with a very large, large hospital system where the infrastructure is so rigid and tight, it's very difficult to make changes beyond your own sphere. You can make changes within that sphere, but to go higher than that's not going to happen. So you at least work within the range of where you are. It is nice if the corporate structure allows for more uh, flexibility and, and tries to encourage people to be more apart and try to get more out of their you know, brain. And in addition to the time they spend, uh, you know, working there, um, but you just just it just takes time in very large organizations for that to occur.
0: You know, and and um, I think this is a, a good time to talk about time because. You know, being agile doesn't mean doing things really, really fast. It's looking at uh, the reality of business and the reality of your position with a broader scope compared to I've got to do things fast. Agile is not doing things fast. And and that's something I'd like you to talk about a little bit because I think a lot of people in organizations get frustrated that things aren't happening fast enough.
1: Well, you know if, if you're in this software development they have this saying fail fast and fail often because it doesn't cost you any money you know you got your people working on it you want to know what software is not going to work when you're doing that in an organization where you've got like manufacturing and you got other kinds of stuff you got a lot of people involved fail fast and fail. you know it may not work quite the same way and uh, you know being agile uh, you know uh, means getting it right and doing it in the least amount of money with the, with the shortest time that you can do it, but ending up in a place that is, makes you as successful as you can. I can put a crappy market a, you know, product on the market tomorrow, but if it doesn't sell, what's the point? You know, if I'm going after markets that are, you know, 500 to a billion dollar markets, I got to have a product that can be competitive and will be accepted and be used. Uh, and so it really means getting to the end because i may spend within my sector you know it may you may spend hundreds of millions of dollars to develop the product so it really means getting to the end in as short a time as you can with as little complications and having spent um, having spent no more than needed to get there because uh, if you have glitches and you haven't thought through where the glitches are you could end up doubling or tripling you know your expenses and when you double or triple triple big numbers, that's painful.
0: <laughs> Very painful because uh, you're out on your butt a lot of times.
1: Well, pretty much. I mean, you know, if you go into an organization and you're in charge of manufacturing, and at the end, you know, all of a sudden you, you're they point your finger at you and, and say, "Okay, you're the responsible for the loss of a couple of billion dollars in development because your product the product didn't make it because your group didn't you know succeed." okay, that's not good. (laughs) You may not get a job anywhere after that.
0: (laughs) Well, let's talk a little bit about that. Let's talk about defending yourself in an organization because, you know, we're talking about helping to change an organization. We've talked a little bit about, you know, doing small steps and proving proving yourself to to the people that ultimately can can, uh, give you more responsibility. But it almost goes back to your comment uh, about... uh, Getting a PhD. Part of getting a a, a PhD, a doctorate, is uh, defending your thesis. Do you feel that the ability to defend your decisions and argue your points in a meeting in a a concise and and structured way should be part of your preparation uh, for your Agile undertakings?
1: Oh, absolutely. I, this is funny. Last week I was, uh, my, I have a, a brand new granddaughter born last week and I was up uh, visiting the family and my, and my brother-in-law is working for a very large organization and he was really excited because he was writing a proposal that was actually going to be put before the board. And I said, well, how's that coming? He says, well, it's, it, it and, you know, in writing this proposal, I'm learning that uh, I have to be very concise because these guys don't have a big attention span and I've got to be very much on target. And he says, uh, you know, Mark Twain once said, I didn't have enough time to write a short letter, so I wrote a long one. <laughs> the rea- <laughs> reality is there's a certain amount of attention and when you walk into the room, you need to be able to give a very solid pitch. And when I go out and help people raise money and I and I coach the companies that I work with, you know, part of this is how do we get this down to a very short, Sharp presentation that describes how the individuals you're talking to are going to benefit by what you're going to do. Well, the same things you do to raise money are essential in selling any project to anybody. How are they going to benefit? Why should they do it? Are they going to make money or save money? Are they going to, you know, what's the cost to them going to be? How long is it going to take? Which how's it going to change the business? If you've got to be able to distill all this stuff into a very nice pointed presentation or discussion, or at least be able to describe to someone why uh, in a short amount of time as possible, and uh, you know, and, and by doing that, you'll find you get more reception uh, and more yeses than nos.
0: Well, you know, it, you've you've come across a really really good point. There is, and I think a lot of people in business fail here. Is presenting your idea, it's not about you. And a lot of times it's not about your idea. It's about how the idea can benefit the people that are going to make the decision to move forward with the idea.
1: Yeah, you walk into a room and ask somebody for money. You know, this is what you have to Raise, raise money on a company. I don't care what it is. You know, you can go to the CEO, go to anybody you want, but just try to raise money. What's the first thing the investor is going to be interested in? How am I going to make money of this? Right? He doesn't care who you are. He doesn't care about anything you got. The first thing he wants to know is, how am I going to make money? And how much money am I going to make? And the next thing he wants to, to be concerned with is, okay, is what you've got going to get me there? I see that. So And he's going to look through it and start critiquing all of that. And he may do diligence on his own, but at the end of the day, he, that investor has to be convinced they're going to actually benefit by being involved with you, or they're not going to give you any money. It's no different in a business. You want to walk into your boss? How's he going to benefit? You want to walk into the CEO? How's the company going to benefit? You need to be able to describe the value proposition in a way that makes it easy for them to understand, and it has to be done in, you know, so that they buy off on it.
0: Yeah, I think it, it almost goes back to the formula of like um, if you're a junior manager or, or, or a manager and you want to get the attention of other people is to, to bite off small projects and, and excel in those projects and keep doing that so you have a track record. Same thing with presenting. You don't go in and just say blah, 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 blah. You present the most important piece that you think is going to get that person's attention. Once you've got that person's attention, yes, he will give you one minute more. And in that one minute... You do the next step. And if you keep his attention, then you get another minute. You don't get in there and you don't have 20 minutes to present. In minute three, if he is not fascinated, you're out the door.
1: Pretty much. I mean, you know, it doesn't take much. I mean, you can go through an hour presentation with an investor and at the end they say, oh, you're you're not far enough along for me. Or you're not this, you're not that. I mean, if the presentation, you know, doesn't capture, and you know a lot of times what these people are looking for, to walk in and and make a pitch to somebody you know has no interest in that is kind of a waste of time. It's like trying to negotiate for something. You know, it's trying to negotiate and get a a better price on a car when you're dealing with a real estate agent. Okay, they don't sell house. They don't sell cars. (laughs) You know, if you walk into the CEO and you're trying to convince him to do something what the company doesn't get involved in, you know, you better have a really great presentation to make that change. Um, you know, if you're trying to show him how to save money on something they are involved in, your presentation may not have to be a stellar.
0: Well, and you know, it goes back to the stories you're talking about 3M with uh, the with post-its and how they were developed. That would be one of those situations where if the guy hadn't presented the post-it note in the right way, post-its may never would have come to fruition.
1: Right. I mean, you know, even with WD-40 and other stuff, I mean, there's, there are lots of things that are out there that are in use today that somebody came up with a very solid business argument to describe why it was worth doing. Uh, you know, companies uh, get involved in and, and pharmaceutical companies especially spend a lot of money doing early stage development on products and come up with some really unique ideas. I know one company that came along Uh, and had developed eye drops for children that would prevent them from needing glasses when they got older, they decided to abandon it. They abandoned it pretty far along in the development path because they realized they didn't believe any mom would put eye drops in a kid's eyes from the time they're born to the time they're 16 every day. And they say, okay, I don't think that's going to work. Even though the outcome is fantastic, they didn't believe that it would sell, and so they let it go. And, uh, you know, so that kind of stuff has to be looked at. You got to make assessments. And uh, there are sometimes when business propositions don't quite fit for, you know, it may be for reasons that you're not thinking clearly on.
0: Yeah. And the way that the world moves forward these days incredibly rapidly compared to 20, 30, 40 years ago, you've got to be coming up with relatively agile strategies, uh, I would say almost like on a monthly basis compared to uh, every two or three years.
1: Well, it certainly, I don't know about daily, but it certainly means somehow finding a way to be aware of what's happening, looking for ways to adapt and uh, and be prepared. So some things you plan in advance, some things you're going to get hit with are like the black swans, uh, you know, some things are in between, but the, the key is at least um, to know how to think very quickly on your feet and uh, to be able to make adjustments and figure out how, how to uh, overcome whatever situations you're in. Or if you see a really great opportunity, to recognize it as a great opportunity and figure out how to capitalize on it as quickly as you can. Mm,
0: yeah, because if you don't, somebody else will. Absolutely. <laughs> what can our listeners do today to become more agile and start thinking in a more agile way?
1: Start at home. I mean, I changed that, I changed that light fixture. should have taken me 20 minutes. It should have been one trip to the hardware store. It was five trips to the Star hardware store and four and a half hours. You know, okay, I could have climbed on the ladder, pulled the thing down, taken a look behind it, figured out what the issues were, and then and then done it in one trip. Okay, I didn't think ahead. I didn't lay the tools out. I said I was going to take shortcuts. Stop taking shortcuts. Think about what you're going to do and start off with little things and then gradually build into bigger and bigger things. <laughs> I was so angry at the end of that. I mean I'm soaking wet cuz I'm standing on a 9 foot ladder I, you know I had already taken a shower cuz I came back from the gym I was like got down I was just living I mean it was just you know when I got it done cuz I knew I'd get it done it was just like okay I should have done that in 20 minutes and took me you know it was just horrible
0: Yeah well that's that's the whole thing about the the the, the honey do list yeah please, honey please do this is it may look like a simple thing to do, but you end up spending hours and hours fixing a bunch of stuff around that project so you can do that little uh, five or 10 minute project.
1: Yeah. And you know, if I had bothered to, to look at it correctly the first time, I might have been able to do it in a small fraction of the time that it would have took me. And the thing is, I, I, I made an assumption. I knew what I was doing. Wrong. (laughs) By starting off by saying, I know exactly what I'm going to do because I've done this a thousand times before. and making the assumption this is going to be just like a thousand times before. That's what killed me. If I had bothered to take a look just to make sure that it was going to be like a thousand times before, it would have been an easier job.
0: (laughs) I've been chatting with uh, Taffy Williams today. His book, How Smart Entrepreneurs Adapt in Order to Succeed, Think Agile. And for sure, it's a book definitely worth checking out. Uh, lots of great stuff in it. And as you can tell, chatting with Taffy, you get an idea of, of what the book's about. It, it is definitely worth uh, spending a little time and energy to get a more agile lifestyle. Taffy, thanks for coming on the show.
1: Oh, you're welcome. I enjoyed it.
0: Hey, I hope you enjoyed that show, and do me a favor and tweet about it. Follow us on Facebook if you haven't done that already. We really appreciate it. See you next week.